So what we're going to do this morning, totally different since our kids are here, I'm actually going to read our story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, but it comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And it's a story that we're probably mostly familiar with about J. Iris. He's a man who's seeking a healing for his 12-year-old daughter who's sick and dying. And it's a story about a woman who has had an infirmity for 12 years. So here we go. Jesus story with Bible. There was once a little girl who didn't get out of bed one morning or the next or the next. In fact, she didn't get out of bed for a whole month. She was very sick and no one knew how to make her better. Jairus was her daddy and he loved her. One day he was sitting by her bed, holding her hand, wishing there was something he could do. I know, he said. He jumped to his feet, put on his coat, kissed his daughter, ran down the steps, 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 past the servants, out of the house, through the gates, along the road, into the town, up the steps, 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 and into the temple. He fought his way through all the people until at last he found who he was looking for. Jesus, he said, falling at Jesus' feet. My daughter, he pleaded, please. But he didn't need to beg because before he'd even finished speaking, Jesus reached out his hand and helped him up. I'll come at once, Jesus said. Jairus' eyes filled with tears. Jesus was coming. It would be all right. Now, in those days, of course, they didn't have ambulances, so they had to go by foot. Jesus' helpers knew that he would heal the sick girl, but they must hurry. If Jesus didn't get there soon, it would be too late. But everyone was in the way, hustling and bustling, jostling and pressing, pushing and shoving, squishing and squashing. The disciples ran ahead, forcing back the crowd. Suddenly, Jesus stopped. Friends looked back. What was he doing? Who touched me? Jesus asked, because he felt power go out of him. Me, said a frail lady, looking down at the ground because she was ashamed. The poor lady had been sick for 12 years and she had to get well. She knew if she only touched Jesus's coat, she would be healed. So she touched his coat and instantly she was well. We don't have time, Jesus's friend said. But Jesus always had time. He reached out his hands and gently lifted her head. He looked into her eyes and smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye. And now you are well. Just then, Jairus' servants rushed up. Jairus, it's too late, he said breathlessly. Your daughter is dead. Jesus turned to Jairus. It's not too late, Jesus said. Trust me. At Jairus' house, everyone was crying, but Jesus said, I'm going to wake her up. Everyone laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Jesus walked into the little girl's bedroom, and there lying in the corner in the shadows was the still little figure. Jesus sat on the bed and took her pale hand. Honey, he said, it's time to get up. And he reached down into death and gently brought the little girl back to life. The little girl woke up, rubbed her eyes as if she had a good night's sleep, and left out of bed. Jesus threw open the shutters and sunlight flooded the dark room. Hungry? Jesus asked. She nodded. Jesus called to her family, bring this little girl some breakfast. Now Jesus helped and healed many people like this. He made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world. Now, we've been studying the book of Mark for, well, I guess now it's been a long time because of our break with COVID and everything. But 
the last few weeks, we've been looking at these different stories that Mark puts together. They're stories that are being piled one after another for us to really contemplate who Jesus is. He's the one who can still the storms with a word. He is the one who can cast out and overpower four to 6,000 demons with a word. He is the one who can heal infirmity with a touch. He is the one who can reach down into death and raise people from the dead. Remember, Mark's purpose is to get us to question and ask, who is Jesus? Who is he really? And what has he come here to do? Now, our story this morning is an interesting story. It's a story about touch. It's a story about disease. And it's a story about death. Now, this is all very ironic, isn't it, considering what we're doing this morning? We're here socially distanced with masks on because there is a disease going around. And we don't know, but many people think it's contracted through touch. Many people have died because of this disease. So it's very interesting this morning that this is what our story has to do with touch, disease, death, and Faith in the only one who can rescue us from all of this. So let's talk about touch first. So this story emphasizes touch. Mark uses the word or references it six times in these short stories. And there's both a positive aspect and a negative aspect to this touching. First, there's the positive. Jesus is being sought out for his healing touch. Jairus requests that Jesus come and lay his hands on his dying daughter so that she may be made well. The woman with the chronic hemorrhage seeks out Jesus to touch even the edge of his garment so that she may be made well. But there's also a negative aspect to this touch. Because of this woman's infirmity, according to Jewish law, she was unable to touch or be touched without rendering someone unclean. Because of this, she was barred from social gatherings. She was barred from worship in the temple or in the synagogue. And most likely, we don't know for certain, but she had no children because of this disease. Most likely, she had no husband. And this would have been a shameful state in the culture of the day. We're also told that she spent all of her money, all of her livelihood on doctors and remedies only for her condition to worsen. So this poor woman is, among other things, feeling the emotional, social, and psychological effects of living without touch, as many are right now. And so we can really relate. We can get into this story, I think. Now, both the woman with her chronic hemorrhaging and eventually the dead girl, because she does die, They are considered ceremonially and socially unclean, and all who touch them are made unclean by them. They would have to isolate, and then they would have to do all of these cleansing rituals, and then they could go to the temple and be declared healthy, whole, clean, well. But not so when it comes to Jesus. Rather than them making Jesus unclean through their touch, the reverse happens. They themselves are made whole. They're made alive. They are saved by simply touch from Jesus. This is fascinating. 
Now, it seems purposeful and intentional that the Greek word that Mark has used for this woman and the little girl, little girl's healing is the Greek word sozo. And this word in the Greek means salvation or rescue. And it's a really strange word to use because there are other Greek words that Mark could have used to describe healing, to describe health and wellness. And that's interesting to note because we often seek in times of sickness and disease, we seek healing. We don't seek rescue. We don't seek salvation. We don't go to the doctor and say, I'm going for my salvation. I'm going for my rescue. Right. That's just not what we do. But I was thinking about this. Why don't we do that? Why don't we seek for sozo, salvation, rescue? Well, healing is temporary. Salvation or rescue is final. It's eternal. And maybe we don't seek this out from doctors because it's too good to be true. Is there anything really like that? Is there really a doctor on earth that you can go to who could touch you and you could be completely rescued? Can you imagine a world without disease, a world without sickness, without uncleanness, a world without death, because someone was able to save and rescue you from all of that? Now, we know no doctor on earth can give us that, but it is what we truly need, and it's what our hearts truly long for, a world cleansed of all these things, a world safe from all harm. But this is the world that the Bible says Jesus is bringing into being, a new creation. And we see the signs of it everywhere he goes, right? In the Gospels, he makes pure those who are unclean. Everywhere he goes, he pushes out the curse of disease, of sin. He makes the blind see. He makes the lame to walk. He removes caste systems and social barriers. He raises the dead. He casts out the unclean spirits. He provides abundant sustenance in the wilderness. He calms the storms. Jesus is bringing rescue and salvation everywhere he goes. Now, in this story that we're looking at, we can see what is envisioned by the Old Testament. In the early laws of Israel, we see that there was a strict holiness guideline, uh, a whole books of them, right? Required in approaching God. This is how you come into God's presence. This is how you live as God's people. All of these rituals for cleansing and for washing to make sure that they were pure. Now, these were required, especially in worship in the temple. The teaching or understanding was that sin brought defilement, but it wasn't just sin. Also sickness, hygienic uncleanness were pictured in types of death. And this was something that God was trying to get across to the children of Israel. I am life. I am life in all of its fullness. And so you cannot bring death into my realm, into my presence. It has no place here. This is what God was constantly trying to get across to the children of Israel. And so since uncleanness and sickness, sin were pictures and types of death and decay, it could not be brought into God's holy space. It would destroy people. Now, did anybody watch the Bible Project video that we sent out? Hudson watched it. Thank you, Hudson. You are a good son. So in the Bible Project video, we like it's like God is likened to the sun. Right. Oftentimes we think about God's holiness like, oh, it's bad because it destroys people. No, it's so pure and so holy, kind of like the sun. If you got too close to it, you would be destroyed. I love that picture there. 
It's not because God's holiness is bad, but because it's so good and so pure. People needed to cleanse and purify themselves before they came to God. Now, all that to say, later in the prophets, specifically in Isaiah and Ezekiel, we see this vision. There's a moment when all of this is reversed. Isaiah is brought into God's holy presence. And the moment he thinks he's going to be destroyed, that's what he says. I am undone. I am unclean. The moment he says that, a coal is taken from the altar and it touches Isaiah's lips. And it says, your sin is atoned for. He's made clean. The reverse happens. Rather than Isaiah's defilement, you know, affecting the temple, the reverse happens. He is made holy by the temple. And then we see later in Ezekiel that water will flow from the foundation of the temple and it will purify and cleanse everything in its path. We see this reverse happening where the temple cleanses and absorbs all the disease and death in its path. You see, this was a foreshadow of what God himself would do. The temple, we know, housed the holy presence of God. And now in Jesus, God's holy presence had come among humans and is cleansing them. In that same way as the temple worked, Jesus was absorbing all the sin, disease, uncleanness, and death around him. And in these pictures, people are not destroyed by God's holiness. They are transformed by it. They are not destroyed. They are transformed. So how does this happen? Well, if you have a Bible and you want to use it this morning, it starts in verse 28. It says, the woman said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And it says, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? So what's going on here? Well, the woman reaches out for sozo, right? For rescue, for salvation, we're told. And immediately she is transformed and healed from her disease. And Jesus perceives that power has gone away from him and transferred to this woman. Now, the incredible thing, again, to note here, and you didn't know, but you showed up for a Greek lesson this morning. But the incredible thing to note here is that those... The word disease that Mark uses here is the Greek word mastix. And this is the same word for the whip, the scourge that the Roman centurions used to beat Jesus before they nailed him to the cross. So listen to what's happening here. It says that her disease was healed. Her mastix, her beatings, her afflictions were healed and it was because power had been transferred from Jesus to her. How does this happen? How has the healing power transferred from Jesus to this woman? How does the walking incarnate temple of God purge people's sins, disease, and guilt? Because at the cross, Jesus will take upon himself the scourging of her disease, but not just hers, of our diseases and our death too. And in that same way, this is how Jesus can reach down into the grave, as it were, and pull this little girl back into life as though she was only taking an afternoon nap. It's because Jesus will be put in the grave. 
he will transfer his righteousness, his purity, his wholeness, his salvation to them. And he will take upon their mastics. He will take upon their disease and their affliction. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, his stripes, his beatings. You have been healed. Now, this story teaches and reminds us of the truth that for those who have been touched by Jesus, those who have been transformed by his life, death, and resurrection, that we will ultimately be rescued from disease, from sin, from death, and we will be brought safely into the new creation. For those who believe, who have given their allegiance to Jesus, even when we die, we shall live in the kingdom of God forevermore. In Jesus, death is nothing more than a nap from which the righteous will awaken to one glorious day. Or maybe think of it like this. One day, You will lay your head down for the last time. You will fall asleep. But if you are in Jesus, if he is yours and you are his, you have this incredible hope that you will hear the words of the resurrected son of God say to you, my little child, it is time to get up. And you will awake to the kingdom of God. So the question is, how do we get that rescue and salvation? And we're almost done. The woman with the hemorrhage and Jairus and his daughter, they come from opposite ends of the economic, social, and religious spectrum. Jairus is a male. He's a leader of the synagogue. He's named. This is significant in those days. He has societal honor And he can openly request an audience with Jesus. He feels totally comfortable going in front of Jesus and saying, please come to my house, heal my daughter. By contrast, the woman here is nameless. And her ailment renders her ritually unclean. She's literally walking pollution. Her condition has made childbearing hopeless and marriage next to impossible. She has no societal honor And therefore, she thinks she has to sneak up behind Jesus to get a healing. She can't go to the front. She can't get in line. She has to go behind Jesus and almost sneak a healing. But these two stories together show that it doesn't matter if you're male, ritually pure, religiously in good standing. This does not provide any advantage in approaching Jesus. And that being female, ritually impure, dishonored and destitute, neither presents an obstacle in approaching Jesus. Now, as Americans, we're like, yeah, so what? Do you know, do you understand that this is considered radical in most cultures today? We do not live in a shame, honor culture. Not really. But in other cultures around the world, if you have no money, if you're female, if you have no societal honor, you have no audience with someone like Jesus. But not so. And this is what the Gospels are trying to constantly get across to us. 
All that matters is faith. God is no respecter of person. All that matters is faith. Faith in both of these instances. All that matters is faith. Now, let's let's just level for a second. Faith here is not what George Michael sings about, right? That's not what we're talking about. And unfortunately, we even we as Christians, we kind of throw that word around, faith. And we, we talk about it as like blind hope. We talk about it as though it's positive thinking. But let's be honest, positive thinking, blind hope does nothing in the face of disease or death. And so when Jesus says to the woman, your faith has made you well, or when he turns to Jairus and he says, do not fear, only believe, he is using this word that means fidelity. It means faithfulness. What he's saying is because you put all of your trust in me, because you went all in, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will purify you because you have committed yourself to me and those who are mine, I will never forsake. I will never leave behind. Not even death itself can keep you from me. That is what Jesus is saying. And so when we go all in with Jesus, when we give him our allegiance, our fidelity, we can say like this woman, if I have touched the hem of his garment, I shall be saved. I shall be rescued. It is guaranteed because our faith, our fidelity, our allegiance has been given to Jesus who alone has conquered death and come out the other side. And as we said a moment ago, if Jesus has his touch on you, if he has got you, he will never let you go. Even through death, he will hold you and bring you safely into the kingdom of God. And so, church, in this moment, there is a temptation to give our attention, to give our hearts, to give our loyalty to a political party, to a certain narrative, to anything and everything that seems like it could do something for us. But salvation only comes from the Lord. And we are salvation people. That's who we are. We are people who have been rescued by God, and that is our message. There is no other message that we have been charged with than God's rescue, the gospel. That is what we are charged with, and that is what we are to be known for, being gospel people. And so I encourage you in this moment, realign with Jesus, turn back your attention to him, give him your full allegiance, because none but him can save, rescue, and deliver. And he will deliver us from COVID-19. He will deliver us from every obstacle, and he will bring us safely into the new creation. So may the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he smile upon you. And may he give you peace in a world where there is not peace. Amen? Amen.